Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio.
were the pioneers For those who will go ahead
Hi, everyone. This is Lisa Haven, and yesterday I put out a report specifically about some of the problems we could be looking at in our food system, specifically in regards to the fact that the honeybee population is still dying off and has been ever since 2006-2007. There has been some pretty serious declines. Well, later that night, I came across another shocking report that I just have to share with you, specifically in regards to the United Nations, who has now issued a warning, a global warning that is, specifically in regards to the honeybee die-off problem. In fact, the UN Intergovernmental Agency Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, it's IPBES, uh, wrote a report targeting this problem and covering what they can do to offer a solution. Considering one-third of our food comes from pollinators, we could be looking at some severe food damages in the near future. Now, here's the kicker. You don't hear any mainstream media covering this report. I have not heard one dot or tittle about it. Um, they want to keep this quiet. They don't want to cause, quote, panic. But nonetheless, I need to bring it to you so you are aware of what's truly going on and you are prepared and stored with food. But I think the best thing to do is let's delve straight in to those reports. All right, so here's the first report, and it's on truth.out.org. I wanted to show you a few media clips before I got into the actual uh, report itself, but here are some alternative sources that are actually talking about it. And notice the date on this. It was just put out March 6th or March 2nd, 2016, and it states United Nations warns of decline of food production amidst bee die-off. Here's another report. This is by BNA.com or Bloomberg BMA, and it's UN body calls for global action to protect pollinators. This was at the end of February for very recently and put together by Eric J. Lyman. I highly, highly, highly encourage you to come and read those. But let's go to the actual organization uh, that is a uh, intergovernmental, UN intergovernmental agency. And again, it's your uh, science policy platform on biodiversity and ecosystem services, your IPBES. Uh, and that's what that stands for, intergovernmental and blah, blah, blah. But this is their um, main page here. Now let's actually go to their pollination report. And here's what they've done. This is, this is such an important report to the UN and I, you know, in it, that they have printed this in 28 different languages um, and is available 1,100 plus online news sites in 80 countries. Uh, plus, it's got newspaper and radio coverage. And what's funny is I have yet to hear about any of it. And I'm assuming many of you have not. You know, maybe they're talking about it in other countries, but America, it's on the down low. Um, now, here is the actual report, and I want to encourage you once again to get over here and read it. But I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I just kind of want to touch on some things. But here is they have assessment, they have people working on it, and they have some of their um, keys, milestones, and whatnot for the review. But let's go to the scope. You can see this is, um, they're planning this 2014 all the way through 2018. The scope, and I want to hone in right here. Furthermore, the assessments, which they're, they're 
they're wanting to get an assessment on this and get it done quickly. But furthermore, the assessments will encompass drivers of change, impacts on human well-being of pollination declines and defects, manage options to mitigate pollination declines and, and deficits, the effectiveness of responses to pollination declines and deficits, and effective policy responses to address declines and restore pollination functions as a basis for the provisions of food and of good quality of life. All right, um, scrolling down a little more here, um, or no, let's go up. Here's the title of the report that they put out, Thematic Assessment of Pollinators, Pollination, and Food Production. Um, and that's important because, again, one-third of our food comes from these pollinators, and obviously they think it's important enough that they have to have a report about it and in a, in, a, in a roundabout way, you know, they are wish, uh, issuing that warning. But here's some of the chapters of what they're going to be covering um, in this report. I'm just going to kind of touch on a few, but here's one in chap chapter four. We'll assess economic methodologies for determining the value of pollination for food production and the economic impacts of declines in food-relevant pollinator populations. Interesting. They know there's a problem, and they know, uh, look, if the bees die off, um, I'm sure the elites still want a portion of the population left over, but we're looking at some pretty major things if the bee population continues to decline at the rate it is. Uh, we're talking, you know, very severe food shortages here. Um, but here's just a brief. I wrote them in my notes. I'm going to reference those. But uh, what they're going to cover in this report is maintaining or creating greater diversity in pollinator habits, uh, promoting traditional practices that manage habitat patch, patchiness, crop rotation, and crop production, uh, supporting education and knowledge among farmers, improving um, bee husbandry, um, <laughs> and decreasing exposure of pollinators to pesticides. Well, why do they want to do that? Because pesticides is a big reason for what is happening, and I don't believe it's the only one. I do firmly believe that chemtrails are another cause of that as well. There you have it. The United Nations is issuing a, quote, warning and a report. Uh, it's the first report ever of its kind which should hint about how bad the problem really is. And they're not telling the public about it. You're not hearing it on the mainstream media. You're not hearing it anywhere. And in my report yesterday, and we knew this, we've known this has been going on for some time, but it's just kind of been pushed under the rug. Now, in my report yesterday, I went over what the world would look like without, you know, a honeybee population, and I'll brief that, but harvest can fail. A majority of your fruits and vegetables and nuts uh, are going to go away, specifically almonds. Almonds would be one of the first to go. And you have to remember that they crush the almond nuts to feed the cows or, or the shells of nuts, excuse me, to feed cattle. So we're going to look at nutrition missing, missing from the cows, which would hinder the production of milk because they need that nutrition. Uh, in addition to that, um, cows usually eat the nuts, so I said that the cosmetic department would suffer because they use the honey. Alfalfa fields would also die off, making your beef and dairy cows go hungry. So we're looking at, you know, pretty much a way down of our beef, uh, of our fruits, our vegetables, and our fruits and vegetables and nuts, these are things that we need 
hugely, hugely. And then lastly, we'll have nothing but a big fat diet of pork because pork will be available at least, you know, as long as I guess it's out there for the taking, which necessarily isn't the best for us. That said, any time that the United Nations New World Order Group starts talking about something like bee problem, my alarm bells start ringing, and I'm going to bring that to you. But nonetheless, here's the thing. Again, I'm going to just push it. Get prepared. And as I've said in numerous reports, if you, I personally use foodforliberty.com. That's my partner. That's why I bring them up often in my show. It helps fund the broadcast. But if you don't use food from them, get food from somewhere. Um, get stored. Get stocked up. Get ready. Because if the United Nations is talking about the possibility of food shortages and they're issuing some kind of uh, global report that this needs to be taken care of, again, that's a sign for you and I to prepare. We know elites are preparing. We know they're even leaving the country, going to places uh, across the world to, get ri to, 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 to be away from what could happen in America. And they're all storing up on food. They're all stocking up on water. They're all stocking up on supplements and minerals and these kinds of things. Get the Tea is the guy that I use, but get them from somewhere. Um, get the Tea is also another partner of mine. He's got great stuff for detox. But get prepared somewhere. Uh, make sure you're getting ready for things to come. And I understand there, you know, people are on budgets and things. That's why I also push make it yourself. Um, you know, find some Mylar bags and pack those up. There's lots of great uh, prepping channels out there that you can check. Anyhow, I wanted to bring you all the latest. And um, thanks again for tuning into my channel. And please hit that subscribe button now uh, to check out my channel. Thanks again. This is Lisa Haven signing out.
guys. Welcome to Chosen Explosions in Time Prophetic Revelations. I received a word of knowledge from the Lord that I would like to share with you guys today. Um, but first, before I get started on that, guys, I would just like to apologize. Um, I feel like uh, that I'm letting a lot of people fall through the cracks. This ministry, uh, it is growing, and uh, growth is a good thing, but sometimes it's just really hard to keep up with. And uh, we're trying to uh, make some changes to make it easier. But I know that, um, that that some emails do fall through the cracks and some it takes me a while to get through. But I just want to let you know, guys, that we never, ever, I never ignore, try to purposely ignore anybody. And uh, so I just wanted to let you know that that, um, that we love you and, and I am doing the best that I can right now to keep up with uh, all of your emails and messages. We do love to hear from you and uh, we love to join in prayer with you and that type thing. Um, one thing is I just realized that I found an email and someone had an urgent prayer request and uh, and it was I didn't read it until a week after and, and I really felt bad and so I just wanted to mention today guys if you have an urgent prayer request the very best way to get uh, our attention quickly to make sure that we're going to see it is to go to our Facebook fan page and put your prayer request there and, uh, and it will be seen instantly by us. And um, because I really hate, you know, missing, missing something like that. Um, and I just wanted also to mention to you guys that the last two words of knowledge that the Lord gave me, almost instantly, um, the man and the woman that I was, that the Lord was speaking to through those words, they instantly came forward and declared their self. They knew that they were uh, the, um, the person that God was speaking to. And uh, so I just rejoiced in that. And we received many emails from different people. The Lord said that he would use those two words of knowledge to speak and to minister to many people. And indeed he did. So we're just so grateful and so thankful for that. We're just praising God for that. Um, but I wanted to say the the woman that wrote to me, um, I never responded to you. And uh, what happened was I read your email and something came up at that moment. And, uh, and I didn't have time to respond, but I meant to come back to that and to respond. And I, I went back. And when I did, I couldn't find it. And, uh, and so I never did respond to you. So I just wanted to let you know that uh, I did see that. We are rejoicing with you. Praise God. And um, and I'm going to continue to hunt that email. And I know it's in there and I will find it. And when I do, I will respond to you. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead right now and I'm just going to get started. The title of this word is Promotions Are Coming. Okay. Guys, this word... I didn't feel like was to any one particular person. I felt like that it was to many people. And uh, and the Lord would, would minister to the people. He would let them know that he is speaking to you. Okay? Uh, I'm just going to read it. It wasn't um, a, a prophetic flow. It was a word of knowledge. And uh, that comes a little bit different. You know, I put my own words to what God is saying. Okay, uh, this is what it says. It says, even though we are told in the Word to be fruit inspectors, the Lord wants you to know 
that he also is a fruit inspector. Some of you feel that God has forgotten you, that he is not paying attention to you. You know that you have a call of God on your life. You have done your best to surrender your all to him. You have spent years in the word, allowing God to build your character and to mold you more and more into his image. You feel that you have done all that he has asked you to do. And indeed, you have. You've been faithful and obedient to the Lord. Okay, he wants you to know that he has not forgotten you. He sees that your fruit is ripe. And I felt like what the Lord was saying about fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to read that scripture in a few minutes. Okay, he is about to promote you. He says that it will come suddenly and it will actually surprise you when it happens. You know, that might be because you've been waiting for so long that you've given up hope. He says it's going to surprise you when it happens, that promotion. By God himself, you will be exalted to a place of honor. Doors will open for you. It will be the hand of God. The Lord also says that even though you are fully prepared by him when this happens, you will not feel prepared. It's actually going to scare you. Okay. But don't worry about it because you are ready. You are prepared. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read a couple scriptures. Before I do, I want, I want to make, I just want to point out again, the presence of the Lord, um, that this word is for many people. And the, the, God is talking about a specific place. He's talking about the highest place of honor in your calling, the things that God has called you to, being lifted into that final place that God has called you to. But in this, the Lord also showed me many places, many positions, many places. And I literally saw the fruits. And in some of the places, all the none of the fruit was ripe, and then it, and then in other places it was more and more and more and more ripe. The fruit was, and uh, so but and the Lord was saying that promotions promotions are coming for many people. You know, the Lord is always preparing us and promoting us into a different place, and then we learn and we grow in that place, and then He promotes us again. And so, yes, promotions are coming for many, many people. And promotions are coming, but God was specifically talking about that highest place of honor that many people have waited so long and, uh, like I say, have given up hope. But the Lord wants you to know that your promotion is very close. It's very close. Okay, now I want to read a couple of scriptures. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and this is English Standard Version. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I believe this is the fruit that is maturing on the inside of us so that we are more and more and more Christ-like as the fruit of the Holy Spirit matures within us. And the Lord himself, as we just surrender to him, as we do what we know to do, put more and more of God in us, then 
that fruit is maturing and it will begin to flow out of us. Actually, I saw in this place of, of this high position, I saw that the fruit was being made, it was being turned into a sweet concoction that was being served. And that is the Holy Ghost flowing out of us. And, and how powerful and how amazing and awesome it is when we reach that place, the place of our destiny, the place of our purpose. And that's what the Lord is speaking of. Okay, first uh, Peter 5, 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Amen. We just need to cast our care, our anxiety upon him, and know that in due time, he's going to exalt us. And that time is very soon for many. Okay? Alright, I have a few announcements, a couple announcements that I would like to make. Um, guys, every Friday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are live streaming our house church service. We have a time of worship. Christopher leads us in worship. And uh, we, we, uh, we do, we have a time of just deep, deep worship, just loving on God. And, and then uh, the word comes forth and, and uh, it may be me, it may be somebody else that brings that. Um, the last several weeks it's been me. Actually, t t uh, today is April 1st. I don't know if this video will go up in time. I wish I had gotten this done earlier in the week so it could have gone up before tonight. But Alex, um, Eric, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. <laughs> Eric, he's a friend of mine. Eric Alexander will be speaking tonight. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to that. We enjoy hearing Eric, and I know that you guys will too. And if you do happen to miss the live service tonight, uh, you can watch it. Um, it. It will be on our channel. And so you can watch it there um, after the broadcast. Um, you can catch it, you can literally watch it on our YouTube channel live, or you can catch it on our Google Plus page live, okay? Another thing that I would like to remind you guys of is that every Wednesday morning from 8.30 to 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, uh, Wendy Domkowski is leading uh, an intercessor, intercessor group. Guys, we're coming together and we're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Lord told me at the end of last year that this year he's going to be raising up prayer initiatives. And we feel that God has called us to take part and uh, to mobilize a prayer initiative. And this is only the beginning of it. And the Lord is still laying it out for me and he's still showing me the way that he wants it done. And, um, you know, I get a little bit impatient. I want to go ahead and do some things. But as long as the Lord is still giving me direction, then I know that I just need to, to wait. Uh, but there's lots of things concerning just this and other things that's going to be coming forth. But, guys, what we feel that the Lord wants us to do is to mobilize 24-hour, around-the-clock worship. I'm uh, not worship. Uh, prayer. Intercessory prayer. Praying for, praying for the nations, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
praying for the church, praying for, you know, pushing back the forces of darkness, and uh, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to fill our land, our government, our churches, our hospitals, our schools, our colleges, to touch our youth and, and all such things, just inviting the Holy Spirit to come. And it's going to take time. Um, to, to get it uh, going the way we believe that the Lord is showing us to do it. Uh, on Wednesday morning, Wendy actually is using um, phone conferencing. But, you know, we're also we're going to use phone conferencing for those who, who prefer that. But we're also going to be using Google Hangouts. It's just an awesome way to meet with people and, and maybe even Skype, but to meet with people for meetings. Uh, to do many different things. So we're going to use it. We are going to use it for many different things. But uh, right now in the beginning, we're using it as uh, intercessor groups. And uh, like I said, we're only at the beginning of this, and we'll be bringing you much more about it. And uh, just some, a lot of different things that the Lord is uh, leading us to do. But we'll just uh, bring it for us, um, you know, as the Lord, as the Lord guides us to. Um, but if you are interested in being a part of that, if you will send me an email and just put in the title uh, Global Prayer Initiative or something like that to get my attention on that um, or, or just send that email to someone who, will, who can take care of that, um, then we will give you more information about it. Um, well, um, I think that's all. You know, I wanted to say right now, um, guys, I just know that uh, it's time. It's time for the saints of God to mobilize and to, to pray and to not only pray but to move forward as God leads us and directs us. And, uh, you know, I know many ministries, God has raised up many end-time ministries for the end-time works of God. And uh, But we know that the Lord has called us to... Uh, you know, to be on the cutting of an edge of what God is doing, to be close to His heart. You know, the Lord told told me that that there's no way that I can figure out uh, how this ministry is supposed to look. He said it would look different from I, I had never seen anything uh, like it. What He was calling us to do, and He told me very specifically that the only way that we would uh, find it is to follow Him there one step at a time and that takes a lot of faith and patience and uh but god has been faithful and uh you know i had absolutely no idea no idea that that the lord would use the internet uh to to um to advance his kingdom through this ministry the way that he is and the way that he is calling us to and uh, i know that we're going to impact our uh, our area our physical area, but the Lord for now has made us crystal, has made it crystal clear, and has made us sure that uh, that our place of warfare is through the internet. And I just thank God for this technology. I thank God for the technology, and that we can use it to advance the kingdom. Well, guys, that's all I have for right now. I'll be bringing you much more uh, very soon on these things and some more things that we're going to be doing, and how you guys can partner with us to advance the kingdom. Well, God bless you. I love you. And I'm praying for you. Bye-bye.
Tov Chavrim. I'm Stephen Benoon. You're watching Israeli News Live. We have some interesting news that has been shared with me by a number of you guys already uh, that came out uh, a few days back and something I really wanted to take and spend a little time with on. And that is that the Ark of Baal, uh, the Babylonian city in Palmyra that was destroyed by ISIS recently, uh, especially the Ark was, it is going to be erected in two major cities, the city of New York as well as the city of London. It's really caused a major uproar because this ancient uh, Babylonian city uh, or revived Babylonian empire, which you'll later discover tonight as we look back in some of the history of this, uh, is, is really synonymous with a lot of wicked and evil um, worship, pagan ideas, uh, sex uh, crimes, and everything else you can imagine. So to have the United States and London as well both erect this city in their countries has really stirred up a lot of debate among uh, people, among scholars, among uh, believers as well. And it also reminds me about how many people have differing opinions on who Babylon really is, especially when it comes to Jeremiah chapter 51. Most uh, Christians hold that this is actually the United States. And there are others that hold that Babylon is the Vatican or the Roman city there. Well, this evening, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. And although it is uh, a news broadcast, it is more of an investigative broadcast regarding Babylon and in light of this art uh, being brought into the two cities, a replica, that is, and what the significance may very well mean. So we did a little bit of investigative work on this special broadcast this evening. I was actually hoping to air this on Saturday, Yom Shabbat, that just passed but was unable to get it completed. So we're, we're kind of doing the Monday, our uh, Yom Shabbat message on Yom Rishon, that is uh, the Monday, that is. Or no, Yom Shnei, sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get right into this. Babylon has fallen. There are actually three passages of the scripture that speak of Babylon has fallen. All right, let's start doing some tracing here. And by the way, before I get into this, uh, too much. Let me just clarify one little thing here. Uh, it might help make people not get irritated with me right from the very beginning. You're going to discover tonight that Babylon actually does apply both to Rome and as well by extension to the United States and perhaps even the British Empire. So You'll see as we unravel this interesting mystery, but let's find out who those Babylonians really are, especially in modern days. David prophesies of Rome as Esau's descendants, according to Psalm 137, verse 7. Of course, this comes from the very famous ones about uh, at the river of Babylon, where we hear the, the, the beautiful song that has been sung today. It says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Adam, that's Esau's descendants. In the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Now, that is just provocative to say the very least on this, that Adam is actually spoken of by David as Babylon, or in, in, in Psalm verse 8, the daughter of Babylon. All right, now, 
by the way, those that may not know, most Jewish believers believe that Babylon, and that's rabbis, I say, most Jewish rabbis actually believe that Babylon is, yes, Roman deed, the descendants of Esau, and they also believe, by extension, and as it says in Revelation, the daughter or the mother of harlots, that, that it does include the United States, and it does include uh, England. So that's kind of interesting, and for a long time, I knew that the, the, many of the rabbis believed that Rome was Esau's descendants, but I did not realize until I was working on this study that they actually saw it the same way that my, I see myself, and that is the United States is, by extension, the daughter of Babylon. So anyway, it says, remember, O Lord, the children of Adam, see, the children of Adam, because they said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation. And yes, in 70 AD, the Romans did indeed destroy the, the temple uh, in Jerusalem and as well as burn everything down to the ground. And of course, we already know the, the, the story on that, uh, but we'll go into that in just a second here. Obadiah is the one that indicts them on this issue here. Esau's children as accomplices in Jerusalem's destruction. Let's look at that. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 6. How are the things of Esau searched out? See, Esau, Adam. Adam is another name for Esau because his name Esau means red. How are his hidden things sought up? Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Absolutely 100% Obadiah indicts Esau as a co-conspirator, you might call it, or as a, an accomplice to the evils that were happening to Jerusalem. Now, many scholars actually do believe that Titus was not the main culprit, but it was the Syrian army. Now you're going to find out in a few minutes why the Syrian army was working with Rome. It has a lot to do with the fact that the Roman Empire already had influence over Syria and had conquered Syria. So yes, they did do the soldiers, but Titus did stand, stand by as an accomplice and allowed it to happen. But according to the Ark of Titus that is right there in Rome, not far from the Vatican, they have this depiction here of carrying the goods from the temple, the temple menorah, the, uh, the shoebread uh, box, the horns, etc., back to Rome. Now, there have been some that have claimed that, uh, that those artifacts are, in fact, indeed inside the Vatican uh, catacombs. Uh, I know Gershon Solomon has always held to this himself. Now, what, does we, what do we find out in this, uh, as we move along here, let's find out what else we find out. Adam shall be a desolate, uh, shall be, uh, or a desolation. According to Joel, chapter 3, verse 19, said, Egypt shall be a desolation, and Adam shall be des a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah. The house of Judah, of course, this is what the prophecy speaks of, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation, for I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. So again, Adam, or Esau, is uh, once again found in the guilt of the blood of uh, the house of Judah, in this case here, in Obadiah. 
Uh, they're, they're found guilty for carrying away their substance. All of this clearly is found to be by the Romans. Titus, the Roman general who came in and took everything away from the Jews, destroyed them and, and sent them into captivity. That's exactly what happened in 70 AD. And they went to all the world. So according to three witnesses here, Joel, Obadiah, and David, they have all been blamed and prophetically spoken of as those that destroyed the, the, the city and the temple in 70 AD in one fashion or another. Now, also, look at Daniel chapter 9, the prince that shall come, all right? Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, a fourth witness to the same thing says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, well, I think there's pictures right there beside it. Whether or not the Pope resigns or not is neither here nor there. Another Pope take his place, still make the same, same difference. That makes no difference whatsoever. But anyway, that prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and the end of the war desolations are determined. Well, the desolations are going to be when Rome becomes destroyed as a result of the evils they did. But also, if you notice, not only does God say uh, that this is going to happen, that the city is going to be destroyed, but it also says that the prince that shall come, that's the Antichrist, will actually come out of the people that destroy the temple and the sanctuary. It's one of Esau's descendants, as we've seen already by three witnesses, David, Obadiah, and Joel, all clearly prophesying that it was Esau who would be the one that would destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And Clearly, history has defined exactly just that. So let's trace Esau's descendants a little bit to see how did Esau end up getting into Rome in the first place? And how, why is there such a, a connection between the Syrians and the, and the children of Esau, or in this case, modern-day Rome? Because, by the way, Rome still has a great affection for the Muslim people or the Arabic peoples around the world. Why is this? Well, they're related is why. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, that Hadad fled he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Edomites, children of Edom, Esau's descendants. This is during the time when King David's men were warring against Esau's men there, and the scripture says that every one of them were killed. All the men were killed with the exception of Hadad. All right? And anyway, so it says he goes into Egypt, Hadad being yet a little child. And they arose out of Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them out of Paran, and they came to Egypt unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, which gave him a house, that's Hadad, and appointed him victuals and gave him land. So he, he was given everything. I mean, this boy was really loved for some reason by the Pharaoh. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him to wife the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tophanes, the queen. No doubt, probably a younger sister, either that or he ended up getting an old wife there. This is actually a statue here that's supposedly of Hadad, if I got that right there. Very Interesting indeed, and definitely if the statue depicts what he looked like, he was not a very nice looking guy either. 
Anyway, 1 Kings 11:21 states, And when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab, the captain of his host, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to mine own country. Then Pharaoh said unto him, But what hast thou lacked with me, that, behold, thou seekest to go to thine own land? And he answered, Nothing, howbeit, let me go any wise. Now, this was very peculiar, and it also shows why we see a lot of Egyptian custom and the worship of the sun god and everything else with the Vatican because of their history. Hadad, uh, he goes, and now when he said that he wanted to go to his own country, I was thinking he wanted to go to Mount Sierra, where his father's land was at, where God had given them that land. But he doesn't. Watch what it says. It says here in 1 Kings 11:25, And he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon, beside the mischief that Hadad did, and he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. So, Hadad actually goes back and becomes the king of Syria. Now we see how it's beginning to go. Hadad, an Edomite, a child of Esau, ends up reigning in Syria. But time moves on down, and let's see what happens as time moves down. Syria becomes the new Babylon, or the revived Babylon. This is on the website, the people that forgot history, uh, the history forgot, Askelum.com, says the two terms became synonymous with Seleucus rule beginning in 312 BCE. And by the way, Hadad was around 970 uh, BC uh, before Christ when he actually went back home because it's believed that David uh, died right around that time frame there. So about 400 years later, four to 500 years later, now we're looking at 312 BCE uh, before the common era is what they use here. It says, in latter times, the kings of the Seleucid Empire consistently called themselves not the kings of Syria, but rather the kings of Babylon. Okay, and the House of the Seleucids, volume 1, page 255, is where they get the information on this. It says, they wanted to maintain the historical tradition of the old Babylonian Empire, that they were its successors, not that they were simply Syrians. And as we presently see, the Seleucid kings represented their realm as a resurrection of the old Babylonian kingdom. So this is where the resurrection of the Babylonian kingdom, kingdom come from. And of course, by this time here, Esau's descendants through Hadad had flourished in this region here. So you had a mixture of the people. They're half uh, Edomites and they're half Syrians or, or Chaldeans. Chaldeans were in the land as well at that time. So there was a lot of mingling in between the peoples there. Now, history continues on more forward. According, though, I will say this, according to the Jewish uh, rabbis who have traced the lineage of uh, Esau's descendants, they actually believe, uh, written by some of the sages like Rashi, that Esau's descendants went into northern Africa after uh, Ben-Hadad was, was murdered. And the, and the Syrian Empire was changed under another lineage rule, but there were still many of the Edomites that were living in Syria. But part of the uh, Edomite kingdom moved into northern Africa, and then they said they later moved into Rome. Now, we know they went into Rome by the prophecy of Obadiah, uh, by the prophecy of Daniel. All of them that show that Esau's descendants ended up in Rome because this is where the attack comes on the house of Judah. That's how we know this happens. 
But anyway, uh, on History of Syria, nationonline.org, following Alexander's death in 323 B.C., control of greater Syria passed to the Seleucids, who ruled the kingdom of Syria from their capital to Damascus for three centuries. In the first centuries A.D., Rome rule saw the advent of Christianity in Syria. So you can tell the Edomites were not just going to sit back and watch uh, what they had done years ago in Syria go to waste. They went back and took over the country uh, and began to rule over the Syrians uh, come the first century. And their, their kingdom definitely went by. Of course, here, if you look at 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7 through 13, this is where we find about Ben-Hadad. He was the last descendant of Esau. I won't take time just to save time to read all of this, but Hazael went to meet uh, Elisha. And we read in here that, uh, that, that, that the king, Ben-Hadad, which means the son of Hadad, uh, it's not, it, I don't think it was Hadad's actual physical son, uh, maybe could have been, but, uh, but it may have been a grandson or something like that. I, I've never quite been able to put that together. But anyway, he is sick. Uh, and, of course, the prophet says that he will live, but yet he will die. And what it ends up being is that God shows Elisha that Hazael is going to murder Ben-Hadad. And he actually does that. And, uh, of course, Hazael was surprised that, 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 that this was going to happen. But... Uh, Elisha wept over the matter, and of course, Elisha says to uh, Hazael, when he asks, why is he weeping? He says, because I know the evils that you will do to the children uh, of, of the house of Israel. And this is exactly what happens, and then we have the exile that takes place uh, that follows that. Uh, moving on along, the origin of Edom, Babylon, and Rome, or Christianity. This is in Jewish American History Foundation. Says they, do they not testify in Revelation 17.5, as well as mentioned to you a little bit earlier, that uh, even the Jewish people believe that the United States and other kingdoms like uh, Europe and stuff are extensions of Rome? Let me just read to you a quick quote what they say here, and then we're going to go into who Babylon really is today. Do they not testify in Revelation 17.5 that Rome is mystery Babylon? And we cannot confine it to the Roman Church, as all Protestants do, saying that she is exclusively Mystery Babylon. For the same chapter and same verses declare that she is the mother of harlots. Who then are her harlot daughters? If she be the mother, most assuredly the whole Christendom, as all ecclesiastical history declares from the Church of England down to her last illegitimate offspring or daughter. And that's Pretty harsh words right there, but as far as the organizational system, I have to agree with them in, in, in part there. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person that was ever a part of these churches was lost or, or going to hell as a result. Again, when we do our research, keep in mind, we present things from an objective point of view. It doesn't mean that I agree with every single thing that, that is written there, but I want to show you both sides there. And I just found it interesting that they actually believe that from Revelation 17. And this is something that the Lord has dealt with me on as well. But a little bit more clear. I want to define this out for you just a little bit. So let's take a look at this. United States and Great Britain, daughters of Babylon by extension is what I put here. Notice in the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 2, verse 7 says, Deliver thyself, O Zion. 
that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Now, the daughter of Babylon, as I said, is more referring by extension someone other than mystery Babylon. And like the rabbis are saying, the mystery Babylon was a mother and had harlots for daughters. Now, they believe that that is just the Protestant churches. All right? Well, to me, it's more of an individual situation, but yes, there are some of those Protestant churches. I can't say all of them, but they may, who knows what's going to happen before it's all over with. But like the Lutherans, uh, I believe the Presbyterians, many of these churches, even in the evangelical circles, individual churches, I should say. I don't want to put them all up together as a denomination, but I know the Lutherans are going back in as well. They're all joining back up with their mother. But it wasn't just churches, friends. The Catholic Church is the mother of the Islamic faith as well. So it's not just churches, it's even Islamic faith, but you see that Islam, the Sunnis, have joined back in with Rome as well. Uh, so you can't, I can't call kettle black, so to speak. All right, now watch this here. God says to Zion, that's the Jewish people, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon, deliver yourself. In other words, get out of there. You need to go back home to Israel. All right, God wants you out of this stuff. And not just the fact that you're in the nation, but get out of, get also out of those churches. If you're Jewish, get out of it. My gosh. What does it say in Revelation 18.4? Come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins. That's a strong statement there. But that's one people need to wake up and recognize what it states. All right. Now watch this, in Jeremiah 51, verse 4 and 5, here's your daughter of Babylon. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and they that are thrust through in her streets. What, what does this mean by the Chaldeans? Well, remember the Chaldeans, and I don't know if I had any of this information in here for you, but the Chaldeans were in Syria, and Hadad, when he went there, his people, his descendants mixed with the Syrian people, and it was a melting pot of nations in Babylon, just like it is in the United States today. And all kinds of nations down there, including the Chaldeans. So when Hadad's people spread and then end up in Rome and then end up in London, or and by the way, London right now, and I didn't know this until I was actually leaving, my son told me this because he loves to study history, there is a a part of the Babylonian Empire encompassed in Rome, Rome, and there is still the wall, the Babylonian wall there in London. I mean, these things are just fascinating, friends, to find out all these things. But then again, it extended not just from London, but goes across the sea. Why? Because that's where her daughters went. That's where all the denominational systems got started. And even the Muslims went there as well. So watch what it says. <clears throat> Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and they are thrust through in her streets. Notice they're thrust through. That means they're being stabbed to death. That's a lot like what's going on in Israel right now. Remember I shared with you not long ago that what's happening in Israel is a prophecy in itself. Because what does the scripture say, and, and, and I don't have this on here, but Ezekiel chapter 35, that they would be thrust through. But, or no, he would, he would thrust them through with the sword. In the time of their calamity and also at the time that their sin had an end. And again, Esau is to blame for it. And that's exactly what happened. By the sword, the Edomites, 
through Rome, Titus, the Roman general, came down and thrust through the children of Israel in their land in 70 AD. But it also said at the time that their iniquity would have an end. That's in modern days today. And what have they been doing with the third intifada? Taking the sword and stabbing all the Israelis, thrusting them through. Brother, if you don't recognize prophecy being fulfilled in that, I don't know what to tell you. See, God is not mocked. Yeshua was thrust through. By who? The Romans. It's always been Rome that's behind it. It's not the Palestinians so much. It's Rome inciting the violence against the Jews. To do what? To thrust them through. But of course, the Palestinians, who are Jordanians and Syrians, who are what? Adamites also, by descent from the Romans even, through, because they intermingled. And was it not the very uh, cardinal, Jean Perron, back in 2011, Guli I've mentioned it many times to you, that actually said, there will be no peace in Jerusalem until the holy sites are, are answered, until we get all of the old city. So yes, Ezekiel 35, they've thrown them back to the sword. Thrust through, just like the Romans thrust through Christ. Oh, Esau's always been guilty. Jeremiah 50, by the way, that's a compound fulfillment when it says their iniquity had an end. That was referring when Yeshua died on that cross and he was thrust through by Adam. And it's also referring to the day we're living in now when the Jews are being thrust through in their backs and in their chests and everything else, just like Yeshua was. See, when they thrust him through, they throw that spear right into his heart. What are the Palestinians doing today? Driving it into their hearts. 51.5 For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, even though it looks like it. Okay? Or the Lord of hosts through their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Oh my gosh, friends. For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. You see that? In other words, the Jews today are still against Yeshua to be the Mashiach. Not all of them. Let me tell you something, friend. There's a many of Israelis that watch this broadcast right here. Many of them have said to me, see, we're ready for the Mashiach, but we will not accept a Vatican Mashiach. God bless them for that. Amen. On April the 20th, excuse me, in April 2016, the Temple of Baal will be erected in Times Square in New York City. This was one of the articles, the most important news, March 22nd, 2016, that brought this article out. I realize that the headline of this article sounds like it must be false, but it is actually completely true. The Temple of Baal, also known as the Temple of Baal, was a world-famous landmark that was located in Palmyra, Syria. In August of 2015, this temple was destroyed by ISIS and most of the world recoiled in terror at the loss of a cultural heritage site. In any attempt to preserve history to, ex to exact replica, excuse me, two exact replicas of the 50-foot arch that stood in the entrance of the temple will be erected in April 2016 in Times Square in New York City and the Trafalgar Square in London. Needless to say, a lot of people are quite disturbed by this. In ancient times, child sacrifice and bisexual orgies 
were common practices at the altars of Baal, and now we are putting up on a monument of worship to this false god in the heart of our most important city. You don't think these things are not repeating today? You don't think that America, that they still don't offer up babies as sacrifices? Sure they do. Every child they kill in the womb is, is a sacrifice unto Baal. You don't think they ain't still doing it? Sure they are. And the other day, and I'm, I don't care about the politics, I think they're all corrupt to begin with, but you know, there's one thing I saw that um, uh, Donald Trump, I've always wondered if his name Trump doesn't have a significance for the sounding of the trumpet at this time, but I don't say he's a... Christian, where I, you know, I'm not saying that, but when that man took a stand and said that doctors ought to be held and the people that practice now ought to be held accountable for what they're doing, I agree with him. It should be overturned. And it's nothing against the women. I say that 100%. It's nothing against them. Many of them forced into a bad situation. Many of them grieve in their hearts for what has happened in their life. God have mercy on them. And I pray for you sisters that have ever had to endure this. I did a video, an in-depth video on this one time. Just showing the mercy of God that He loves you. And that He knows whatever you went through. And maybe willfully. But don't think that God won't forgive. He will forgive. But a nation that would just allow senseless murder is different. They're the ones that are guilty of the altar to Baal. Not, not you, my precious sisters, and maybe not even a sister as of yet, but have made these mistakes or, or did something like that. That's not you. That's those wicked priests in their little white uniforms running around that did that. So yes, Babylon, the daughter of Babylon by extension, is the United States. The nations have drunken of her wine. Jeremiah 51.7, watch this. Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, the nations are mad. Jeremiah 51, 13. O thou that dwellest upon many waters, abundant in treasures, thine end is come in the measure of thy covetousness. Now, some people say, well, that's America because they're all over the world and every nation and stuff. No. That's only by extension. The Vatican has all of its churches on many waters. But there's certain elements that are going to be destroyed. That doesn't mean that South America will be destroyed necessarily. But he's going to hit those main daughters that have fed the world all their lives. King David's tomb. The room conquered by the church. This was an article on Israel National News on June the 9th of 2014. That was the title of the article. King David's tomb room conquered by the church. In further proof of the fixed nature of Christian mass services being imposed on David's tomb compound, services which were filmed on Sunday, it now turns out that mass was held again on Monday morning, this time in the very room where King David's tomb is said to be located. The very next day. Pope does it on Sunday. The next day they come in there and they do it again. Rabbinite Yochavid, uh, 
Grossman, a lead activist for King David's tomb, reported to Arup Shiva that numerous priests and monks held mass services in the room of King David's grave marker. They threw them out. Friends, they threw them out. Do you not realize the scriptures that are being fulfilled with this? Look at this here. Prophecy fulfilling. I wrote this in here. Obadiah 1.6 For as you have drunk upon my holy mouth, and so shall all the heathen drink continually, or all the nations, or all the Gentiles. What does it say in Revelations? They have drunk. Have, all the nations have drunken from the cup of her fornication. That's another scripture that was fulfilled right here in, in 2014 during the Passover that they did on, oh, excuse me, it was during their Sunday worship. Let me get that straight there. So, and by the way, forgive me for doing that message on Sunday. I always said any day is a great day to talk about Yeshua, but I don't want to cause a stumbling block. I know that the Easter that they celebrate is definitely not the resurrection of Yeshua. All right. But anyway, Pope did his own mass there. And the next day they did another one. How do we know this is scripture fulfilled? If you look at this in the Hebrew, which I don't have it up here for you, when it says the Shutatecha, they, they would drink, but it's in the masculine plural on the first one, showing it was men only. But then it's in the gender-inclusive plural of all the Gentiles, which is what happened the next day. Because the first day, it was only men amongst the delegation of the Pope in there that partook of their mass service. The following day, it was a mixed congregation. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. So it's going to change, friends. And by the way, I put this picture up here for you so you can see. They were, the police were dragging the Jews out. This is King David's tomb. Been there many, many times. They're dragging them out forcibly, the Orthodox Jews, so that Rome can have their mass in King David's tomb. What a disgrace. Anyway. I want to point something out to you here. It's kind of interesting. In three places in the scripture, as I said at the beginning, Babylon has fallen is noted three different times. Isaiah 21, 9. Behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon has fallen, is fallen. And the graven images of her gods, he hath broken into the ground. It's ancient Babylon. Yes, it happened. Revelation 14, 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city. Because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Notice that great city. Singular. Okay. Revelation 18.2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Alright? Keep that in mind. Don't forget that great city is fallen. One city. Alright? Now, let's look at Jeremiah 51.3. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon, is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. Daughter of Babylon, all right? Not mystery Babylon, not the... Uh, okay, watch. Now, Jeremiah 51, going down to verse 42. The sea has come upon Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of waves thereof. How many of you believers out there have had dreams of massive tidal waves that will hit the United States? 
There's your daughter of Babylon. My wife as well said they were so high. <laughs> it's just unbelievable, unfathomable how big these waves are that are going to hit the U.S. Verse 43 says, Her cities are a desolation. Not city. Not like what we have here in Revelation 14.8. Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, singular. All right? That's Rome. But over here in Jeremiah 51.43, her cities, plural, are a desolation, a dry land and a wilderness and a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. There's the daughter of Babylon by extension. All right. Revelation 17.5, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. She's a city. Mystery Babylon is a city. Rome. Her daughters. See, mother of harlots. Well, what's the harlot then? She's the daughter of the mother. And I wonder why people say the United States is Jeremiah 51. Sure it is. Look at all these nice people here. Tony Palmer got this going for the Pope here. Got Kenneth Copeland and his whole evangelical group to come right back into Mother Rome. They're back there with Mama. Do you know that even they even use that terminology? They're coming home to their mother? How much more plain do we need to get, friends? How much more plain do we need to get? So those two arches in London and New York, are a sign to the world that the daughter of Babylon will soon fall. Her time of her threshing is at hand. Even what Isis did to this Babylonian arch in Palmyra was a sign that the destruction of Babylon is soon at hand. If you've ever repented, if you've ever recognized Yeshua as your own Savior, this is that time. That time is very short. My Jewish brethren, come out of her. My Christian friends, come out of her. They have deceived the world. And now, do you think I trust all these men that are taking up for the Vatican right now? There ain't no way. There is no way. They suck up to Rome like you never would believe. People I never thought would stand for Rome are doing it. She is Mystery Babylon. No wonder why they do it. They're the daughters. They have no other place to go. But the true believers will stand for the God of Israel. They will believe her Messiah, Yeshua. I'm Stephen Benoon. Special report on Babylon. This is Rangini's Live Um, it's been two weeks since we had a prophecy update, and during that time there were a number of things that happened. Uh, in spite of me calling all of the world leaders, telling them to hold off for a couple of weeks, and they didn't listen, oh well. But from the Islamic State terrorist attack in Belgium to the nuclear summit and everything in between, 
I suppose you could say that once again it's been a busy couple of weeks on the calendar of Bible prophecy. However, prophetic events were once again, sadly, eclipsed in this on two fronts, the first of which was, of course, the presidential election, and the second, which was the political correctness, which is seemingly waxing worse by the day. Here's an example of that. The New York Post yesterday published an article in which they reported that the White House had censored the French president for saying, quote, Islamist terrorism. Let me quote from the article. President Obama is so paranoid about linking terrorists to the Muslim faith that when French President Francois Hollande used the phrase Islamist terrorism at a meeting in Washington, White House officials posted their official press video with the audio of the words cut out completely. The eight-minute clip was posted on the White House website and showed Hollande discussing the global terror threat at a nuclear security summit meeting with Obama and advisors Thursday. The White House's transcript of the event shows the French leader declaring at the 4.49-minute mark that the roots of terrorism, Islamist terrorism, is in Syria and in Iraq. But, rather than include Hollande's remark in its entirety, the Obama administration posted footage in which his interpreter's English translation of the words Islamist terrorism was missing. They later denied that it was deliberate, citing a glitch technologically in the audio. Really? Really? Be that as it may, it was the recent report that a replica of the Temple of Baal will be built in New York as well as London on April 19th that captured the attention of a number of people this last week. I was just inundated with emails and comments and posts requesting comments on this, and that's what I'm going to do for the remainder of our time together today. Actually, it was after an interview with Jan Markell for an upcoming radio broadcast that I decided to take the time to vet some of the articles about this stunning news of this Temple of Baal. Uh, as I've mentioned prior, I'm a huge fan of Jan Markell, and I was really honored to be on our program, which I believe God is really using in a mighty way. And uh, while I'm at it, I wanted to share some really exciting news. Uh, this last week, I was able to uh, book Amir Sarfati. He's going to be here August 4th, which is our Thursday night, uh, midweek, and August 7th, which is uh, Sunday morning for both services. I, I asked him to uh, commit to, you know, 
having him here. And uh, so he's going to uh, be here and he's going to give me more time than anybody else while he's here. So <laughs> this is my Jewish brother in Christ from Israel. As I've mentioned before, he's uh, uh, a, a Bible prophecy teacher. And uh, you can actually download his Behold Israel uh, app, mobile app. And I encourage you, if you're not following uh, Jan Markel or Amir, uh, you can do so on Twitter. They're also on Facebook as well. Well, that said, I need to address what I believe will have serious ramifications for this nation. On Friday, Charisma News published an article titled, Temple of Baal in New York is going up just before Baal's biggest day of the year. In it they ask, and this is a, a rhetorical question, quote, Is it just a coincidence that reproductions of the 48-foot-tall arch that stood in front of the Temple of Baal in Palmyra, Syria, are going to be put up in Times Square in New York City and in Trafalgar Square in London exactly 13 days before Baal's biggest day of the year? In the occult world, 13 is the number of rebellion, and these arches are going to be put on display precisely 13 days prior to the major occult holiday of Beltane, which is on May 1st. They go on to quote a book from 1995 entitled Circle of Intrigue concerning the significance of these dates to Satanists. According to the Satanic calendar of High Holy Days, April 19 inaugurates a period of blood sacrifice to the beast, culminating in the grand climax on May 1st each year. May 1st, May Day, of course, is celebrated in Red Square in Moscow each year by a huge parade and spectacle. It was also on May 1st, 1776 in Bavaria that Adam Weishaupt founded the Order of the Illuminati and it was May 1st when the ancient Druids honored their great sun god and goddess with an uninhibited festival complete with initiations, sex orgies, drunken revelry, and human sacrifice. By the way, uh, this article, as well as others that I had time to vet, thoroughly document events that took place on April 19th throughout history, and subsequently on May 1st, 13 days later. For those of you who are with us for our Thursday night Bible study in the Old Testament, you're keenly aware of who Baal is. On Thursday nights, we go through the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we started in Genesis. We're now in Second Kings and this after completing First Kings, where we learned about the prophet Elijah's contest with the prophets of Baal. We have the account of what happened in First Kings 18, which 
I would argue, is of profound prophetic significance for us today. And I'm hoping you'll bear with me as I explain how that is and why that is. Kindly allow me to give you first the backstory so as to better explain why it is that I believe this to be a word fitly spoken for us in the United States of America today. During the evil reign of Ahab and his infamous wife Jezebel, a wicked, wicked woman, Israel had been fully given over to the satanic worship of Baal. And that's where the prophet Elijah comes on the stage. And God calls him to confront Ahab concerning he and Jezebel leading Israel away from God and into the worship of Baal. We pick it up in verse 17 of 1 Kings 18. It says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Isn't that just like how it is for us today? The Christians are the ones that are the problem. We're the ones that cause the trouble. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have, listen, forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? I want you to hang on to that question. We're going to come back to that. If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered him not a word. I suppose at this point, you could say game on, as it were. Because what follows is the famous contest between God and Baal. Actually, it gets somewhat humorous when the prophets of Baal, who go first, receive no answer from Baal, who they pray to, to call fire down to consume the sacrifice there on the altar. And, and this, when Baal was known to be the god of lightning and thunder. So surely if he's the god of lightning, he can bring fire down. And he was also the god of rain, which, oh, by the way, <laughs> there had been a famine in the land there was no rain. Well, Elijah starts mocking them, saying, listen, you guys, maybe he's busy. Maybe your God is busy. Uh, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's taking a nap. Uh, maybe he's on vacation and he just can't hear you. He's just gone. He's not there. Or, and this is where I just I love, you know, God's got a sense of humor. Just look at yourself in the mirror, and that'll be a reminder that God has a sense of humor. Elijah mocks them and says to them, 
uh, maybe he's relieving himself. That's the New King James's way of saying he's in the bathroom. Maybe your God is in the bathroom and he can't hear you. Well, in verse 28, their response to Elijah mocking them is that they cry louder and get this, they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. You know, today, cutting is alive and well, for lack of a better way of saying it. And this is where it gets its roots. This is where it comes from. And verse 29, when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. I'm pretty sure you know what happens next, so suffice it to say, Elijah steps in and immediately calls fire down from heaven. And we're told that the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. And not just the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust. And we're told that it even licked up the water that Elijah had them pour on the sacrifice before the fire was called down. In verse 39 of chapter 18, we're told, Now, When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Okay. Here's where I'm going with this. Just as Israel had forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed Baal, so too is that what's happening today. And specifically here in the United States of America, which sadly has forsaken the true and living God and followed the false gods. This morning in our prayer meeting, Donna handed me a Honolulu Star Bulletin newspaper article from yesterday titled Sex and Satan Pop Up in Atheists' School Pamphlets. This is in Denver, Colorado. Let me just read a brief excerpt. It sounds like on an April Fool's joke, but it's not. Atheists provided pamphlets on topics like sex in the Bible, problems with the Ten Commandments, and a satanic activity book to middle and high school students in rural Colorado district on Friday. The result of a fight between Delta uh, County schools and critics over whether it should continue to let everyone from Little League organizers to the Gideons distribute literature in schools. And I'll just read one more sentence. The Freedom From Religion Foundation is behind the literature. Freedom From Religion. Do you mind if I just kind of rewind my sermon back to 1 Corinthians? 
about how it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That God did not create hell for man. That God does not send anybody to hell. They send themselves there. God will never force Himself on anybody. Freedom from religion? God doesn't force Himself on people who don't want anything to do with Him. I would argue that we need look no further than to the current condition of this nation to see just how bad it is and how bad it is fast becoming. I don't know if you've heard of the statistics, but um, I was born in the year 1962. Don't do the math. <laughs> That's why I keep telling you I'm, I can't wait for my new body. Um, and that just so happened to be the year that they outlawed prayer in public schools. Did you know that prior to 1962, the United States of America had a national surplus instead of a national debt? How's that? Some of you younger people know nothing of this. But prior to 1962, the United States of America was so prospered and so blessed that instead of a debt nationally, we had a surplus nationally. Fast forward to 2016, 53 going on 54 years later. And the reason I know that is because that's what I'm going to be this year. <laughs> it's 54 years old. And uh, 54 years later, and the United States now is, and this does not include unfunded liabilities, but well nigh 20 trillion with a T dollars in debt. I made the comment on uh, Jan Markell's uh, radio broadcast that I believe that we in America today are enjoying the residual blessing of generations prior who loved God and walked with God or men and women of God. And also because there was a time in this nation where we blessed Israel. And God, in turn, blessed us because we blessed Israel. Not only have we turned our back on God, we've turned our back on God's people, Israel. And I believe this is the consequence of it. And were it not for the Christians, who I believe are staying the hand of God's judgment, this nation has no idea <laughs> what would happen. You know, we, we talk about how Christians are the problem. You know, we're, we're the salt. You know what salt does, right? Salt stings and preserves. And light blinds, especially if it's really dark. We're the salt and the light. And we, we sting the unbeliever in this unbelieving world. And they can't wait to get rid of us. They can't wait to get rid of us. Well, you know, <laughs> they're going to get what they asked for. And when they do, they're going to realize, they're going to realize that when the restrainer, the Holy Spirit is taken out and the rapture of the church takes place, all hell is going to break loose. Quite frankly, the United States of America has not seen anything yet. 
America has not seen anything yet. Now, the question becomes, if God judged Israel for following Baal, then wouldn't it stand a reason that God will judge America too? I suppose the bigger question isn't so much that God will judge America, but when God will judge America. I believe that the heavy hand of God's judgment is already on this, the once most blessed and greatest nation on earth. Last week we were in Second Kings chapter 9, where the prophecy concerning Jezebel's judgment was finally meted out. It took place some 14 years after the death of Ahab. Uh, a lot of us were really looking forward to it. Uh, Jezebel died Thursday night in Second Kings chapter 9. It's a great study. I say that with a sanctified uh, sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> God finally meted out judgment on this wicked, wicked woman. Now, I point this out because Ahab, who was the wickedest king in the history of Israel, he reigned 22 years prior, which means that Ahab and Jezebel collectively ruled for 36 years. We did the math on Thursday night. That would be nine four-year terms. 36 years to put it into perspective, where God allowed wickedness and evil to seemingly prosper unchecked before He brought judgment. But He brought judgment. Let me say it this way. Judgment is coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how soon to me, this is a textbook case of, as one said, the wheels of God's justice turning very slowly, but also grinding exceedingly fine. In other words, though it may seem that God delays in bringing about His just judgment, and it is a just judgment, there will come a day when he does, and I'll take it a step further and contend that that day is sooner than any of us think. Wow, Pastor, that you're just a fear monger. Well, you know what? My Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe that's what is needed. Maybe there's no fear of God in the eyes of man. The Proverbs also say that to fear the Lord is to hate evil. To hate evil. I've been accused of hating the President of the United States. I don't hate the President of the United States. I hate the evil that has come from the President of the United States. Why? Because I fear God. I fear God. It cannot continue on unchecked. Perhaps you'll indulge me in closing. I want to read Peter's second epistle, which I think would be apropos. 
He explains why it is that God's delays are not God's denials. Yes, God delays. God seemingly allows evil to prosper. But just because He delays in judging does not mean judgment will be denied. Second Peter tells us why. Verse 3, chapter 3, Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Oh my goodness! Does that not describe the United States of America today? Christians are on the receiving end of scoffing and mocking, especially when it comes to our belief in the soon return of Jesus Christ. We're the laughing stock of the country. They will say, where is this coming He promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But... They deliberately forget. This is a conscious decision on their part. This is deliberate. They deliberately forget that long ago, by God's Word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. In other words, the evolutionists, deliberate, who teach that it was from the goo to the zoo to you, That takes more faith <laughs> than creation, doesn't it? My son and I were talking about this the other night. We were going through the book of Proverbs. And, and uh, I, I said to him, I said, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe in creation. To believe that just some cosmic, you know, by some cosmic chance we came to be. That's faith. That's faith. By these waters, Peter goes on to write, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept, and here it is, for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord, and here it is, is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He's going to answer it. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, 
We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Are you at peace with Him today? Are you right with Him today? If you're not right with Him today, you need to get right with Him today. Not tomorrow. Today. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, for anyone who might be in this church today that doesn't know You, has never called upon You, or for anyone who might be watching this by some other means that doesn't know You, is not right with You, and not ready for You, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would not delay any longer. That they would choose this day whom they're going to serve and pass from death unto life and be born again of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Why don't you all stand? On the first Sunday of each month, we partake together of the Lord's table. And uh, if you're able to stay, we'd certainly encourage you to do so. If you have to leave, we understand. Uh, but we're going to have you, as the worship team leads us in song, come up and get the elements. They're packaged together. We have three tables, two on the side, one here in the front. And uh, take the elements, take them back to your seat, and then take your seat and then wait so we can partake together. So go ahead and come on up.
gospel, the 22nd chapter, we have the account of what we affectionately call the Last Supper. And Luke, by the Holy Spirit, writes that when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you'll take the packaging and peel back the top part, you'll find the bread there and just hold on to it for a moment. What we hold in our hands is a symbol of the body of Christ that was broken for us in our stead. The significance of the body of Christ being broken is such that it is a fulfillment of the Passover prophecy. And by Passover prophecy, I mean that in the Exodus, the Israelites were to take a lamb and they were to inspect that lamb for four days to make sure that it was without spot, without blemish. That's the exact amount of time that Jesus was on trial, four days. And then if that lamb was found to be without spot or without blemish, they would then slay that lamb and shed that lamb's blood, break the skin, not the bones, the skin, shedding the blood of that lamb. And they would take that blood and they would put it on the doorpost of their house, by the way, in the shape of a cross, so that the angel of death would pass over them. That's the Passover prophecy. And Jesus is the fulfillment of of the Passover prophecy. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says he is our Passover lamb. He was the only one that could fulfill that prophecy. And talking about the resurrection, we would not be partaking together of this were it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we partake, we do so in remembrance of him and what he did for us in that he died for us and paid in full for us for all of our sins. So as we partake, we're saying, Lord, thank you. I do this in remembrance of you for your body broken for me. Would you partake with me? Lord, thank you for giving us this to do in remembrance of you. Lord, it's so easy for us in this day and age to get caught up in the busyness of life, the cares and the affairs of this life. And when we come together, 
to the communion table, it it recenters us and calibrates us and focuses us on you and what you did. And Lord, for that, we cannot thank you enough. In Jesus' name. Lou goes on to write, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. If you'll take the rest of the packaging and peel it back, you'll have the cup. And again, just hold on to it. This is a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed in our stead. The Bible says that there is no remission of sin, removing of sin, cleansing of sin, without the shedding of blood. Now, in the Old Testament, they only had their sin covered, kufar in the Hebrew. Well, because of the new covenant and the cup of the new covenant in his blood, it's no longer just covered, but removed. And Isaiah says that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Not the north from the south. (laughs) That's not that far. You're going to come back around full circle, but east to west? And he remembers them no more. You know what that means? Every sin. Every sin. Oh, but pastor, (laughs) you don't know what I did. Listen, with all due respect and love, I really don't want to know. But the Lord knows. And I assure you on the authority of God's Word that it did not catch him off guard or take him by surprise. Never imagine God in heaven going, I can't believe they did that. I told you till I blew in the face. How many times? Yeah, but Pastor, I, I keep doing it. Well, think about this. When Peter asked Jesus, So, Lord, how many times exactly should we forgive our brother who sins against us? Seven? You know, he's, we're, we're, there's got to be a limit. There's got to be that, that one time when they sin against me. That's the last time. That's it. And Jesus said, No. Seventy times seven. In other words, stop counting. Now, if Jesus would say to us, Forgive them indefinitely, and as many times as they sin against you, forgive them, how much more will our Heavenly Father forgive us? Do not let the enemy build upon that infrastructure of guilt and condemnation because Romans 8.1 promises us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And this is a remembrance of that. There is no sin that is beyond the forgiveness of God. There is no sin that is beyond the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. What we're partaking of together today is a reminder that we are justified. You know what justified means? It's just if I'd never sinned. How cool is that? Just if I never sinned. Would you partake with me? And once you do, please stand. 
Loving Heavenly Father, again we thank You for sending Your only begotten Son to die for us, pay in full for us, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish in hell for all eternity, but have everlasting life with You in heaven. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great Christ-centered week. If we don't see you on Thursday, we'll see you, Lord willing, next Sunday.
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a great God we serve. What a faithful God we serve, my brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Welcome to the Lord's hour. Hallelujah. I believe tonight we're going to have a great program, a wonderful program. We believe that God is going to speak to our life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Because tonight we're going to be talking about true humility. Hallelujah. Which comes from heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we have a mighty example of humility in the life of Yeshua, in the life of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He is true humility. Hallelujah. And we can learn humility through his life here on earth, how he walked in obedience to the Father. Hallelujah. How he obeyed the Father and every, every, everything the Father told him to do down here with us. Hallelujah. He came down. Hallelujah. And, and went and chose uh, 12 disciples to make them apostles, hallelujah. And total obedience showed them, hallelujah, the word of God, hallelujah. And have them follow them for three and a half years in which he gave them testimony on how to walk with God, hallelujah. And that is what you and I, hallelujah, need to learn down here before we go to heaven and how to walk with God. How to walk in obedience to God. Because obedience leads you into true humility. Hallelujah. And we want that. We need that. Hallelujah. And we have a great example. I'm going to go into the Word of God now. In Mark 14, verse 32. Hallelujah. Where Jesus, hallelujah, says the Bible that Jesus and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. Hallelujah. Jesus said to them, sit here for, for a while, I pray. Hallelujah. He took Peter and James and John along with him. He began to be very upset and troubled. He says, my soul is very sad, Jesus said. I feel close to death. He said to them, stay here, keep watch, hallelujah. He went a little farther. Then he fell to the ground and prayed that if, if possible, the hour might pass by him. Ava, he said, which means father. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup of suffering away from me, but let what you want be done, not what I want, Abba, means Father. And another translation said, let thy will be done and not my will. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Then he said, then says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he says to Peter, hallelujah, are you asleep? Can you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you won't fall into sin when you are tempted. Hallelujah. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Then continue once more. Jesus went away and prayed the same thing. Then he came back again. He found them sleeping. They couldn't keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Jesus returned third time. He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is about to be handed over to sinner. Get up. Let us go here. Come. Hallelujah. Come. Here come the, uh, the one who is handing me over to them. We talk, He was talking about Judah. Hallelujah. Now, how, how God wants us to learn from this is that Jesus, hallelujah, gave himself as an example to his disciple. And the Bible says that everything that has been written has been written for our own 
example, hallelujah. And we don't have in the Bible a greater example than in the life of Yeshua, the life of Jesus, hallelujah, the life of Joshua, hallelujah. Praise Jesus. He gave us a mighty example on how to walk with God, how to be obedient with God, and how to walk in true humility with our Father in heaven, hallelujah, which we haven't seen, hallelujah, we haven't, because we're down here, unless, you know, like the Father has given me that experience to see him by taking me to heaven in my spirit, hallelujah. But we are down here, hallelujah. And the reason we're down here, God has put us down here, and God wants us to learn obedience, hallelujah. And we're only going to learn obedience and go into humility by listening to him, by being obedient and keeping his word, Hallelujah. By imitating Yeshua in his life, hallelujah. So when we see Yeshua here, when he takes his disciple to Gethsemane, hallelujah, he knew the hour that was, that, that was approaching. He knew that he would have to die for the world, for the sins of the world, hallelujah. And he knew how much it would take for, for this to happen. And he knew this was a great thing he was going to do, hallelujah. But to show us an example he has to go for what he went through. Hallelujah. And he himself took three three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And and I believe, in my own opinion, a lot of people may not agree as Peter uh we know that Peter, first of all, uh was gonna become the first uh, uh pastor. Okay, and he was gonna be put in charge of the sheep. Hallelujah. So they needed to learn firsthand Hallelujah. How, and how to obey God. How to be obedient to God. That even in the most, in the hardest test or trial that you and I have to go through, we have to make the decision to obey God. Hallelujah. And we will be tested in our life with God. And I walk with God in different way by God. Hallelujah. And even though, even though when you don't have sin in your life, God still wants to test you. And how do I know this? Adam and Eve have no sin in their life. Okay? And God put us a tree, a, a good and evil, in the midst of the garden. Hallelujah. And, and God said to them that they should not eat from that tree. Hallelujah. From the fruit of that tree. Hallelujah. God was testing Adam and Eve. And they had no sin. They had no sin, and they were being tested by the Father. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. Although God knew that he had thrown Satan down to earth, and Satan was going around the earth, and Satan knew that Adam and Eve were there in the garden with no sin. Hallelujah. Still, God allowed Satan to, to, to go into the garden himself to tempt Adam and Eve. Where was God? God was where he always is, sitting on his throne, watching the whole event, watching what was happening. And he knew, because he's in control, that Satan was not going to do any more than what, what he was going to allow him to do. And Satan, although he went into the garden, God was watching him. God was keeping an eye on him, because God allowed Satan to do, to tend his children. Hallelujah. To the point where God says, enough is enough. Out of here, Satan. Out of here. Okay? 
He has total control of Satan, and everything Satan does is under the control of God. Hallelujah. So when the Lord allows Satan to go into the garden to tempt Eve, which found herself to be alone, hallelujah, praise Jesus, Eve was in total humility. And when I say total humility, she was not walking in sin. She was walking in true humility, which comes from God, which comes from heaven. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. She had no sin. You know, one day, hallelujah, I, I wanted to walk in true humility, at least for a day. And the Lord gave me that privilege to walk in true humility. And I'm going to explain to you what is to walk in true humility. I remember that for that day alone, I could not sin. I, I, I will have to put every effort in my mind and my life to sin. I could not sin. For that day, Jesus allowed me to walk in true humility, in total humility. Praise Jesus. It was hard for me to sin. Very hard. Not like now, that we're not walking in true humility. We sin. We're sinning machine, I call it. That's what we are, and we sin all the time. Praise Jesus. That's why we need to be repenting. Praise Jesus, hallelujah, because we sin. Praise God, hallelujah. And the Lord wants us to repent sin. And, you know, and we take sin lightly, but sin, we should not take sin lightly. Sin needs to be repented. Sin needs to go under the blood of Jesus. That's where it needs to go if it's in our life. And we, I'm telling you, we take sin lightly, and we should not, because God don't take sin lightly. The Father don't take sin lightly. That's why he gave his son to die on the cross. So our sin will be wiped out by his blood. Hallelujah. And what can cleanse us but the blood of Jesus? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, my brothers and sisters. We got to take sins very serious. And sin, if you have sin in your life in this moment, you need to repent it. Hallelujah. Don't let sin stay on you all day long. Because you have an accuser called Satan. Hallelujah. That old serpent that turned to Eve. And Satan will take that sin to God, to the Lord. And he will accuse you for, about that sin. Hallelujah. Whatever that sin is, he will take it to God. And he will accuse you. Hallelujah. And you might get yourself in more trouble. Hallelujah. That, that Hallelujah. It will be very hard for you to get out. And that's where many people find themselves. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. But you can walk away from it. Hallelujah. By repenting it. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ can help you with that sin. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So although Eve had no sin on her life, although Eve was total, was walking in total humility, praise Jesus, hallelujah, Eve, praise God, hallelujah, still has to make the decision for herself to either choose to obey God, and that's really to stay in humility. For us now to obey God is to, to seek humility. When we make the choice to obey God now, we make the choice, hallelujah, to seek humility, hallelujah, to ultimately walk in humility. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. It takes a while for the Lord to get pride out of you and I. Because every decision you and I make, hallelujah, has to be for God. That is the word of God for us to make decision for him. But we have the total choice to make the decision for God, which God has given us when he created us. Hallelujah. The freedom of choice we have. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And in that freedom of choice, God expects you and I to choose him to choose his will. Hallelujah. Praise God.
So why is it, Brother Elfie, that we choose to do our own will during our life? Why was why we so much choose to do our own will? Pride. Pride, my brothers and sisters, can blind us. Pride can blind us so much that sometimes all our decision is under the uh, is under the watchful eye of pride. Is under is under pride. Most of our decisions during the day that we make are under pride. If we're not asking God for the decision we made, we are making those decisions under pride. And this is why we error. This is why we make so much mistake in our life that we regret. Praise Jesus, hallelujah, because we made them under pride. We did not went to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to, I want to do this, Lord. Would you please lead me whether it is your will or not? Your word said that your Holy Spirit will guide me to all truth. Would you please guide me with your Holy Spirit to all truth? Would you please guide me that the decision, Lord Jesus, that I need to make, hallelujah, that I feel that I need to make, would you please even tell me if the decision I'm choosing to make is your will, Lord? And we will learn to work like this with the Lord. Hallelujah. We will find out, hallelujah, a fountain, a life, a humility with God that will be a mighty blessing to us. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. We will not err like we usually do. Hallelujah. We will not error. Our decision will be made right because God will be the one. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Yes, I will pray for you, my sister. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God will help us. Hallelujah. God will help us. Praise Jesus. I had told my brothers and sisters one day, I remember last year, almost two years ago, I was driving to work. I was having a lot of problems with sin. I was, I was sinning. I felt like out of control. And I remember going to the Lord. I was talking to the Lord about this. I was praying, 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 praying. And I could not find a solution to my sinful nature. I could not. I just, I just kept on falling into sin. And I'm like, and I'm, I was praying to the Lord. I was like crying inside me. And I was saying to the Lord Jesus, Hallelujah, why, Lord, why can I stop sinning? Why did I keep on? I remember I was crying like a baby. Lord, why can I, why do I keep on sinning, Lord? I don't want to. And I remember hearing the voice of the Lord. The Lord says, why don't you ask me to help you to stop sinning? Hallelujah. Just like that, his voice came to me. Why don't you ask me to help you to stop sinning? I I started wiping away my tear, and I was like, I never thought of that. Usually, I never thought of that, Lord. I never thought to ask you to help me to stop sinning, Lord. Praise Jesus. I never thought it. Never thought about that. And that's what practically the Lord told his disciple here. Hallelujah. Mark 14. That the flesh is weak. But the Spirit is strong, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will help you to stop sinning if you ask Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. He will help you. He will give you the strength. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. He will give you the strength. It's not easy to do it. It's not easy. And even when you don't want to do it, and you end up doing it, praise Jesus, it hurts. It's painful. And many of people that, that are listening to me know what I'm talking about. Sinning is painful. It hurts. You want to die. which That's what the devil wants anyway. That's what the devil wants for you to die. You want to die when you sin. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. You don't want to do it anymore. 
Praise Jesus, hallelujah. You regret when you're doing it. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. But you know what? We learn also through it when we walk away from it, when we don't do it anymore. We learn. We mature in God. We learn to walk away from sin. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. We learn, my brothers and sisters. And that's what God expects from you and I when we make our mistake, that we humble ourselves to him, that we recognize that we have sinned. Now that we try to hide it, praise Jesus, hallelujah. And a lot of us, we do that. We try to hide sin, or we try to pretend it's not there when it truly is. And a lot of times we say, I repent, I'm not sinning anymore, this sin. And then we end up doing it again, and then we hate ourselves for doing it again. Hallelujah. But Jesus says, ask me to help you, and I will help you. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I will give you my strength. He knows that our flesh is weak, but he also knows that his spirit is stronger. His Holy Spirit is stronger than our flesh. And if we ask for help, help is available from God. Jesus has made help available to you and I. Our Father has made help available to you and I. Hallelujah. And all we have to do is go to him and say, Lord, I got this problem, Lord. I have this problem. I cannot stop continuing to make this sin. Will you help me, Lord, to stop committing this sin over and over again? It hurt, Lord. It's painful. I cannot deal with it anymore, Lord. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And when you can say that to the Lord, when you can repent to the Lord, and when you can ask for help, Jesus is there, my brothers and sisters, to help you, to give you his strength, hallelujah, to help you walk away from him. But don't hide it, because God sees everything. There's not a single thing that can hide from God. God sees everything, absolutely everything, hallelujah. God sees our life. There's not a place where you and I can hide that God cannot see us, because he sees everything. Hallelujah. And he like he expected David. When Nathan went to David and told David, you have sinned before God. Hallelujah. And when David realized that he has sinned, hallelujah. This is what shows the character of David. David immediately tore his clone and started crying. I am the man. I have sinned before God. Immediately started crying. And this is why they gave us Psalm 51. Hallelujah. He wrote Psalm 51. How much he was crying to the Lord for the sin he had committed. Hallelujah. How much he was recognizing the sin he had committed. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's what God expects from you and I. The devil expects us to die. The devil expects us to fall down in the ground. The devil expects, hallelujah, to be sleeping on the street. Eating from the garbage, the devil expects the worst from you and I. But God expects us to recognize our sin so he can restore us back. He can give us a second chance. He can help us to go forward with him, with his help, with his protection. Hallelujah. That's what God expects to do for you and I. Jesus can help you, my brother. Jesus can help you, my friend. Go to Jesus. Ask Jesus to help you. Ask him to restore you. Ask him that you want to be back with him. 
You want to have that personal relationship again. You want to feel his Holy Spirit again in your life. Hallelujah. Like water, like oil going over you. Hallelujah. With that special personal relationship. With the person of the Holy Spirit. Who wants to dwell in you. Hallelujah. Who wants to make you his home. Hallelujah. His dwelling place. It's you. It's you. He do not dwell anymore in temple made by hand. But he dwells in your heart. He dwells in your life. You are his temple. You are his people. You are his chosen people that the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in. Hallelujah. Allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. Welcome him. Tell him, Holy Spirit, I am your dwelling. Come and dwell in me. Help me to stay away from the weak things of the flesh. Help me to walk away from sin. Give me your strength. Leave me, Holy Spirit. Leave me so I don't keep on making the same mistake. That I was making, Holy Spirit, I need your leading, I need your help, I need your wisdom, Holy Spirit, help me, Holy Spirit. And when you can say that in the name of Jesus, when you can go to the Lord in his Holy Spirit, God will help you. God will say, amen, my son and my daughter, I will help you. You're coming to me, I will not turn you back, I will give you the strength. I will help you to go forward with the problem you're having. Hallelujah. God is the solution to every single problem. We have problem. God is the solution. Hallelujah. Do we have many? Yes, we do, my brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Yes, we do. We do have problem. Hallelujah. But we can go to Jesus. We can go to him. Hallelujah. And he will help us. He will restore us back again. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I'm going to take a break. Hallelujah. And I'll be back. We can trust Jesus. Jesus is faithful. Hallelujah. He is faithful God. He is mighty God. Hallelujah. That can support us. That can help us. Hallelujah. That can help us go on. That can help us seek him. Hallelujah. He is faithful. Hallelujah. And he can be trusted because he is a good God. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I will be back, my brothers and sisters. Let me put my son to bed. Bye. 
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God Almighty. Hallelujah. He is so good. He is so wonderful. So Jesus knew, hallelujah, that he was going to die on the cross. Hallelujah. And he knew how painful it was going to be. Hallelujah. And he went to the Father in prayer here in Mark 14 and said, hallelujah, that he fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, Hallelujah, to pass this from him. Hallelujah. He says, Abba, everything is possible for you. Take this cup of suffering away from me. But let, hallelujah, what you want be done. Your will be done. But not my will. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. He knew it was going to be painful. Hallelujah. He knew he would have to suffer so much. Because it wasn't only just by going dying on the cross. He was going to be spit on, punched, hallelujah, beaten on, put in jail, put in prison. All these things was ahead of him. And he knew it. He knew that one of his own disciples was going to sell him. A man that he took from the street, gave him food, hallelujah, taught him the word, helped him. Was going to sell him. That is painful, my brothers and sisters. That when your own people, hallelujah, we want to sell you for nothing. We want to come against you for nothing. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. You know, and this is a great example because my mother called me today and told me how one of her sisters came against her. And she was telling me how it happened. And I, I was feeling very sad. Because my mother was was willing to to believe for this woman, he gave her, he helped us so much over the years, and this woman took a chance and went against her, and my mother was so hurt about this, so hurt, hallelujah, and now that she was telling Elvie, now that I'm going back to church, this woman came against me this way, hallelujah, praise Jesus, hallelujah, and that's usually when it happens when you want to see God. This is when things happen to you a lot of time. And we cannot turn back. We cannot look back. But we got to continue to trust the Lord that he will help us. Hallelujah. That he will give us his strength. Because we're being tested. And just as the father was testing his son, so will the father test you and I through the hardest time we're going through. We're going to have things happen to us. That is going to have us question our faith. And what do we do? Hallelujah. We obey. That's what we do. We seek to obey God. We seek to do it well and not our own well. Hallelujah. And when we do this, hallelujah, we will learn humility. 
Humility, hallelujah, will come to us from heaven. Because heaven will be with us. The Holy Spirit, who is humility, will be in us. And will help us. Will give us the strength to make the right decision. But God will never make the decision for you. You need to make the decision for God. That you want him and nothing else. That you want to obey him and nothing else. It's going to cost you. And it's going to cost you your life. Many, many of you that are listening to me in China and around the world, in Russia, following Jesus, it's going, it may cost your life. You might have to be murdered for Jesus. Hallelujah. You might have to give up your life for him. But you've got to be willing to. Jesus said, because anyone who wants to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses life for him will find it. If you want to find eternal life, if you want to find life with God, you better be willing to die for the Lord. You better be willing to give your life for Jesus. Hallelujah. And God will test you to that point. Don't be surprised. There are many judgments coming to the earth. God is speaking like I heard today. A prophet said, or the Lord said through this prophet, that he's bringing judgment on America. He has judgment coming on America. The judgment has been set for America. God is going to judge this wicked nation for his sin. Hallelujah. People in America have turned their back to God. Hallelujah. And specifically America, she was speaking about. That the Lord was telling her, hallelujah. They have turned their back on God. In his word, hallelujah, they have turned to wicked, evil sins, hallelujah. Homosexual, hallelujah, is reigning in America. When even the, the, the chief commander of this country agreed with that homosexual sin, hallelujah. And they should be an example to the nation, but they're not. They are an example to wickedness, to sin, not to just or righteousness. And God is going to judge this nation for their wicked sin. And the judgment is coming. The wrath of God will follow soon. It's soon to happen any day. And we're going to live through it. We're going to see it. Because the Lord, he said, I have spoken it. It will happen, the Lord says. I have spoken judgment to America. And it will come. Because he has spoken it. Hallelujah. And we better get ready here to see the hand of God on this land. That the Lord, we ask that the Lord will protect us and will keep us safe. Us and our family will be safe. Hallelujah. If we stay in obedience to the Lord, if we keep on seeking the Lord, we keep on hoping on him, waiting on him and walking in obedience, walking away from sin. It's what the Lord wants from you and I. Hallelujah. Having nothing to do with sin. It is in front of us. Like the Lord said to Cain. Sin is at the door. It's dead knocking. It's knocking at your door every single day. But you got to keep that door closed. You got to keep sin away from your house. From your temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit of God. He is holy. And Jesus demands nothing else from you but holiness. But purity, hallelujah, right standing, righteousness, he demands from you and I, hallelujah. 
And you and I have to say, amen, Lord, whatever it takes, Lord, help us to walk in obedience, Lord. Help us to be righteous. Help us to be ready. Help us to be the best you want us to be that will carry, that will work with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us, Jesus. It's not easy, my brothers and sisters. I tell you, it's not easy. It will take pain, hurt, offenses from people. It will offend you for no reason. I think I'm one of the most persecuted men on the radio there is. I've been persecuted from the same day I opened this radio program. The persecution against me has been mightily, has been great. Many people that I don't know are talking about me, against me. Have said so many things, so many threats against me. Hallelujah. They don't care. Hallelujah. Many years because they're already lost in sin and they have no hope for themselves. Hallelujah. And anyone else that wants to seek God immediately, they want to come against them. They want to murder them. They want to take them out of the way because we are telling them the homosexual lesbian style is a sin against God and they need to repent. And just because we're speaking about it, hallelujah, hallelujah, they want to come against you. They don't want to see you. They're hoping that this radio, this program will be closed anytime soon, that they don't have to hear it anymore. They don't have to hear me anymore. They have come against my video on YouTube any way possible, hallelujah. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. They have come against me. They don't want me, hallelujah. To be on this program, to be on any video, hallelujah. They don't want to hear the truth. They feel fine and sin, and they don't want to come out of that. They don't want to hear anybody telling them they're wrong. No, they. if, if you're coming against homosexuals, if you're telling homosexuals that their lifestyle is a sinful lifestyle, you are coming against them, and they need to remove you out of the way. Hallelujah. They need to remove you. If you have a ministry... They, they, your ministry should not exist for them. You should not be a ministry for them because you're telling them it's a sin. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Almighty. Hallelujah. That we stay firm, seeking the Lord and nothing else, being obedient to him. Praise God. Hallelujah. And in order, hallelujah, this morning I'm in, in my prayer with the Lord. The Lord was giving me so much that I will hoping to retain everything so I can speak it out tonight, that I will give out those words that the Lord was giving me in prayer because I knew as he was giving it to me, it was going to be a blessing. Hallelujah. We got to remember, hallelujah, that, that righteousness is higher than sinful, than sin. Hallelujah. Humility is higher than pride. Hallelujah. And where we are prideful, we are connected with hell. But when we're seeking humility and we're connected to humility, we are connected with heaven. Hallelujah. And why is it that we are so much connected to pride? We need to repent pride, my brothers and sisters. Pride comes before a false and proverb. We got to repent pride or we're going to fall. One of the reasons, one of the main reasons we fall is pride. If you have pride, you will always fall in sin. You can only stop falling in sin by seeking humility and having humility in your life, having a, a humble life before God. Hallelujah. Then you will not fall in sin as much. Hallelujah. And as the Lord has been revealing this, to my brother Larry and I, hallelujah, how important it is 
for us to seek humility, hallelujah, so we don't fall in sin all the time or in disobedience, because we do fall so much in it. And it's because our own pride makes us fall. It just makes us fall. Pride comes before us fall. It means it's there before you fall. Pride is already there. It's already dwelling in you. It's already ruining your life. And as it continues, it makes you fall into sin. Hallelujah. It makes you fall away from God. Grace, hallelujah, how hard it is. Praise Jesus, hallelujah, as to you fall from grace. To get up again, it is so hard, so so painful, so it hurts so much. It is so difficult. Once you have opened yourself to demons to dwell in your life, after you have the Holy Spirit, it is so hard. Those demons don't want to live. They want to dwell in, in your cleansed body. Hallelujah. Like Jesus said, when that spirit lives, hallelujah, return and find the house empty, nice and neat. What did that, what did that demon come? He comes with seven more. To dwell in that person again. And the spell of that person become worse, Jesus said. It just become worse. Hallelujah. And we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are the house of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And we got to understand, hallelujah, that we got to stay clean no matter what. We got to seek our cleansing. We got to stay away from sin. It's not easy. Ask Jesus to help you. Hallelujah. In the greatest example of the life of Jesus, we can see that Jesus, hallelujah, walk in total humility to the Father, but most important, in, in total obedience, which kept him in humility. When you seek obedience, you seek to stay in humility. You seek to enter into humility. You seek to receive humility from heaven, because now you got heaven helping you. You have the Lord helping you. This is why you got to seek humility more than anything else. Every other plan, leave it for a second. Seek the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And, the righteous, and his righteousness. Hallelujah. And every other thing will be added unto you, Jesus said. That's what God wants you to do and you and I to do, to seek him first. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the will of God in our life. And then everything else will fall into place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. No man, no man, no woman can stay away from sin without the help of the Lord. I tell you this right now. If you think you're going to do it with your own strength, you're going to continue to sin just as it happens to me. And the Lord revealed to me that is nothing new, my son. What was happened to you is nothing new. Every single man been sinning for years and thousands of years and more. Hallelujah. Because you cannot stop sinning without my help. And as the Lord revealed that to me, I was shocked. I, but it's nothing new to God because he's seen this from the beginning. No one can walk away from sin without his help. No one, absolutely no one can walk away from sin without the Lord's help.